Psalms chapter number 16, I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says, Preserve me, O God, for in Thee do I put my trust. O my soul, Thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to Thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance, and of my cup thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places, yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures Forevermore. Let's read verse 11 once more. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Lord, I love you tonight. I thank you for your word. I pray that you'd help us now as we preach. I pray that you'd help us as we listen. And I pray that you'd do a work in our hearts and lives. We love you, Lord, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Now, in verse number 11, the psalmist begins to ask the Lord to show him the path he needs to walk on in life. I think that's sort of a way of the psalmist saying, Lord, I want to know your will for my life, and I want to follow it. The greatest way uh, for a Christian to know success, really the only way for a Christian to know success, is to find the will of God for their life and to do it. Now, there are certain things that are the will of God for all of us that know the Lord, and we don't really have to pray about it. We don't have to agonize over it. We don't have to ponder over it. We know it's the will of God. We know it's the will of God to read the Word of God and to study it, to show ourselves approved. We know it's the will of God for us to pray. You know, Christ uh, told a parable to His disciples to this end that they ought always to pray and not to faint. We know it's the will of God for us to assemble together. The Bible says we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. We know it's the will of God that we're to walk circumspectly before the world. You say, well, what does that mean, preacher? It means to walk upright. It means to walk in a way that the world can look at how we're living and see the Lord in our lives. Uh, you know, the, Christ said it this way, that we were to, uh, to have our candle uh, out there in the open. We were not to light our candle and stick it under a bush. We're to live in such a way that men may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. There are certain things we don't have to wonder about about the will of God. But I think most of us would admit that as it comes down to the daily minutia of the decision-making of our life, sometimes it can be difficult to know the will of God. Sometimes I think some people reduce the will of God to this sort of, uh, you know, esoteric, obscure, vague thing. You know, it's all theoretical. And the reason they do that is so they can live any way they want and then just assume that's the will of God. Amen. Uh, I think sometimes what people do is they treat God like He's just helping them live their life. You'll see this all the time, especially you get on social media and uh, somebody, I mean, they're putting all these pictures up, they're acting in such a way you can tell they're not living the way that they should be, and then they're posting all stuff about, Lord, you know, give me the strength to make it through my day. Well, they're not interested in God showing them how to walk. They're interested in walking the way they want to, and then God rubber stamping it and helping them and giving them the approval that they're seeking. The will of God, I think, in our lives is something that, and we're going to see this in a moment, is a very distinct and real and literal thing. There are some things in, in my life and in your life, certain paths we can walk that are going to displease the Lord. 
And then certain paths that are going to please the Lord. We can walk in obedience or we can walk in disobedience. And as it relates to our lives in particular, there may be certain things that in as much as there's no inherent evil in them necessarily. I'll give you, for instance, several folks have mentioned about job situations and they're praying that God would, uh, would open a door and give them a job and make something happen. I can tell you right now, it may be God's will for you to get that job. It's not God's will for me to get that job. Amen? If I left the pastorate and went and got that job, I'd be stepping out of God's will. God's called me to pastor Walridge Baptist Church, and I believe with all my heart that as of this moment in time, that's the will of God for my life. It's not wrong to have that job, not wrong to not have that job. That may be the will of God for your life, though it is not the will of God for my life. And so the will of God is a very distinct thing. And I believe when the psalmist is praying and asking the Lord, to show him the path of life. I don't believe he's speaking in vague terms. I think he literally means there is a, a path that I can walk that is going to engender and, and encourage more life and the enjoyment of life. That's going to bring life for me and life for others. God, there's a will you have for me and I need to be walking in it. And I want you to notice a few things tonight about the will of God that may encourage you. I want you to notice first off the path of God's will. Look at the first phrase the psalmist gives. He says, thou wilt show me the path of life. Now, when he says this, I notice three things about this path that he talks about. I notice first off that it is a particular path. In other words, this isn't just any path he can be walking on. He wants to know what the right path is. I wonder if it ever crosses your mind. Lord, I want to walk the path that you've laid out for me. The Bible says that uh, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Uh, the Bible tells us uh, in Psalms 23.3, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. In Psalms 25.10, the psalmist says, All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep His covenant and His testimonies. There is a right path. There is a wrong path. What path is your life on right now? Can you say with confidence that you know? And now I, I will, I'll confess there might be things in your life, decisions, where you go to lunch or, or, or what, you know, suit of clothes that you pick to wear or, uh, you know, so, you know, whether you put premium or unleaded in your car. I don't know what it might be. There might be some, uh, inconsequential or seemingly inconsequential decisions that we make that we might not necessarily make with the firmest of conviction that it's God's will that I wear the blue shirt instead of the red shirt or I know it's God's will that uh, I put premium instead of Unleaded. But as far as the decisions that form your life, where you're working, who you're with, who your friends are, what you're doing, where you're going to church, uh, what decisions you're making that are molding and shaping your life, can you say with conviction, I know these are the will of God for my life. I know I'm doing the will of God. One of the questions I always ask when somebody comes, or I usually ask when they come and, and say, you know, we, we believe, especially if they ask me this after they ain't been coming for very long. Uh, you know, sometimes folks will come to church and everything seems great because they don't know nobody. Amen? And uh, they'll get to know everybody and realize our church is just like all the rest. we got people in it. And where you got people, you got problems. But sometimes people will come and they'll be excited and jazzed up and, they, and they'll say, Preacher, we want to join. And I'll ask them, why do you want to join? There's only one right reason to want to join, and that's because you believe it's the will of God for your life. Don't join because you like the preaching, because I'll be honest, there might be days you like my preaching and days you don't. Don't, don't join because you like the music. I mean, we have good music, and I enjoy the music that we have, uh, but you never know when something may happen to our musicians. 
Uh, you say, preacher, people ought to join because there's something for their young people. Well, I believe churches ought to have stuff for young people. We have stuff for our young people. But that's not the right reason to join. You don't join just to keep one particular demographic of your family happy. What happens when your kids are happy and your marriage is busting up? Amen? The reality is there's only one reason to join a church, and that's because you know it's the will of God. Now, this, I believe this, this aspect, this reality, it can be extended to any number of things. God has a distinct will, a particular path for your life, for my life. He's interested in the things that we do and the decisions we make. I remember, and I've told this so many times, it's probably worn out by now, but I'm going to try it once more. Uh, it was said one time that somebody asked, uh, there's a famous Bible teacher by the name of G. Campbell Morgan. If you, if you read old theological books, which I doubt anybody in here does but me, but <laughs> if you read old theological books, uh, you'll know the name G. Campbell Morgan. He was a great Bible teacher in England back in the uh, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. And he was doing a little question and answer time one time and, and uh, taking questions from people that were there in the congregation. Somebody asked him, said, Dr. Morgan, do you believe God cares about the little things in life? And they were asking him, particularly as it relates to prayer, like should we pray over small things? Does God care about the small things, the details of our life? And he answered back something that's always stuck, stuck with me. He said, what in your life would be big to God? We think in terms of big and small, right? We think, hey, big decision to buy a house, little decision to buy a pair of shoes, amen? Uh, but as it relates to how God perceives things, there's nothing in our life we do that is, is big, comparatively speaking, to what God is doing. And so if God is interested in our lives at all, and He is, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man uh, that thou considerest him? God is interested in our lives. We know that for a fact. That means that there's no part of our life we can compartmentalize and say, well, that's not important. God's not interested in that. There is a particular path we need to be walking on. I'd say that there is a particular path as it relates to what is scriptural. In other words, there is right, there is wrong. There's a lot of things. Now, I, I do understand that God might deal with you or me in a very particular way, specific way, uh, concerning some area of our life. In other words, maybe somewhere we shouldn't go or something we shouldn't do. That is not necessarily clearly laid out in Scripture, but the Holy Ghost has made it evident that God would be displeased if we did that. And, and that's what we might say, that's a conviction. You know, you hear people say that all the time. Well, you know, that's just that's your conviction. That's my conviction. And I do believe there is such a thing as that. But I'll say this. I think that in the modern day church, we've scooped everything that God's already said something about. He's already made his opinion and his desires known about it. We've scooped all that up into convictions. And anybody can live out of the will of God, do anything they want. And they'll say, well, that's your conviction. It's not my conviction. Well, listen, there's some things, and by the way, there's only one time the word conviction is found in your Bible. One time. John chapter number 8, the Bible says, and they were all convicted in their hearts from the eldest even unto the least. Conviction deals with the exposure of sin. And when God has spoken on something and already said it's sin, you don't have to worry about some special revelation of conviction. You ought to be convicted over it because God already said something about it. So, scripturally speaking, there are there is a particular path. There is right, there is wrong. But I would say, specifically speaking, there's a particular path. God is interested in how you live and what you do. Let me say, not only is this a particular path, but I notice it's a plain path. And you say, preacher, how do you know that? Because he asked the Lord to show it to him. This is something the psalmist is saying, I can look at. Now, I'll confess that the psalmist is not aware as of yet what it is, or he wouldn't be asking God to show it to him. But if he didn't believe it was something he could know, he wouldn't be asking God to show it to him either. So, in other words, here's how it applies to your life and mine. We can know the will of God. 
We can. We can operate in confidence that we've heard from the Lord about a matter and we know that it is the will of God. I remember when I first started pastoring here, um, the, I, of course, I was still a youth pastor at the time. And, uh, you know, I look back over those those first couple, three years of pastoring, and, and it shocks me that I didn't just blow it all up. You know, I'm, I'll be honest. I look back at some of the things I did and said, and I think, man, you know, dummy, what were you thinking? But uh, I, whenever I was a youth pastor, we we were on salary at the church that we were at. We didn't make a lot of money, but we were on salary. And um, as we had been preaching over a number of months, God had made evident in my heart and my wife's heart that this place was the will of God for us. And we didn't go around telling a bunch of people that. We didn't go around telling church people, well, vote for me because this is the will of God. And so, I mean, we just kind of we kept it to ourselves. We, we let the church know we were interested. Uh, but we, we had already, we knew it. It was settled in our heart. And uh, so before I ever, the church had voted uh, for one particular month, I believe the month of July, to have me come in and preach all the messages. Before that, there had been a number of men filling the pulpits. And when that happened, me and my wife, we went ahead and decided we had a special service with our young people, and we went ahead and said goodbye to them. We knew we'd see them again, but we said, you know, this is, we believe this is the will of God. We believe this is the direction that we're headed. Uh, when we did that, we quit taking a salary from, from the other church. Uh, we, we were still both working, and uh, so we just quit taking a salary. We went ahead and gave up our Sunday school class, gave up our youth ministry over there, uh, let them go ahead and, and put it in someone else's hands. And several months later, I found out that there were some folks that had took that to be very presumptuous. Those folks weren't around, still aren't around, amen. But, but they had took that to be very presumptuous that we had done that. And, uh, you know, maybe I should have had enough wisdom to explain my actions back at the time. But I can say this with confidence, and this is not in any way bragging on me or my wife. But the reason we did that was because God had confirmed in our hearts already that this was the will of God for our life. We weren't being presumptuous concerning how people would vote or the opinion of the, of the church or anything. Uh, we knew that God was going to have to confirm that in their hearts for us to be able to be here. But God had made plain and made known to us that this church was the will of God for our lives at that time. I say that to say this. God is fully capable and willing to do that if we'll seek Him. If we'll seek Him, He'll be found. You know, I think so oftentimes we, we, we tell ourselves that you can't know the will of God about a matter because we're not asking the will of God about a matter. We're not seeking the will of God about a matter. Now, there are times when it's just not time for you to know what God's will is about something. I, you know, they say that whenever a person dies, I don't know if it's true, I don't know if there's any Bible for it, but they say when a person dies that God will give them dying grace. And I wouldn't argue with that necessarily, but I'll say this, it'd be foolish for me to pray right now and ask God for dying grace. I'll be honest, if God gave me dying grace right now, I'd be a little paranoid. Amen? You know? There are certain things that God ain't going to give you until the time comes that you need it. But when we're faced with decisions in life, we can pray with confidence and ask God to make known unto us His will. Because there, it is, this is a plain path the psalmist has asked for. Lord, show this to me. I want to see it. I was reminded of what the psalmist wrote in Psalms 27, 11. He said, Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Lead me in a plain path. That doesn't mean God's going to tell you every footstep you're going to make ten miles down the road. But when there's a decision to be made, we can pray and seek God's will with confidence that He will make known unto us the direction we are supposed to go. I see that it's a particular path and a plain path. I notice that this is a prosperous path. What kind of path is it? That will show me the path of life. life. If you're not in the will of God, 
I really want you please listen carefully to this. If you're not in the will of God, you're not really living life. You're not really living life unless you're in the will of God. To be in the will of God, and he's going to talk about it here in a moment. He's going to say, in thy presence is joy forevermore. I thought about this. I've been preparing for, uh, you know, the, uh, a message out of uh, the life of David. Imagine that. We've been preaching at him for two weeks, three weeks. But, uh, you know, I'll say this, that when we're out of the will of God, we cannot experience the joy it is to live in confidence and boldness, knowing that though the storms may rage, the master's in the boat, that he's got it under control, that he has got everything settled. We cannot experience the true joy of the Christian life if we're not in the will of God. You know, Christ made this statement to his disciples. He said that, I'll give you joy and your joy shall no man take. When a Christian determines and and succeeds in living in the will of God, he has a joy that cannot be wrenched from his hands. It must be forfeited if it's going to be given up. Uh, John chapter number 15 says this in verses, uh, well, I, I got ahead of myself. John chapter 10 was where I was looking. Verse 10 says this, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. The Lord said this, I am come that you might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Let me tell you something. Everybody that's saved has life, but I don't know how many have this more abundantly type. That's not to say you won't have bad days. Of course you're going to have bad days. Bad days are just part of the human experience. If you want to walk through this world without bad days, you're going to have to hide in your house. And I'll be honest, if you do it, there'll be days you get on your own nerves. You're going to have bad days. But there is no comparison to the level of joy that a Christian experiences when they're living in the will of God versus how they feel when they're living out of the will of God. Boy, what would it be like to feel like Abraham that every place where the sole of your foot landed, that God had given to you? That you were walking in faith and confidence, that you were walking in the will of God and you could trust God with the matters. I think so oftentimes when we come into difficult times, that's part of the reason it affects us so much, is because we never entered into this thing with confidence that we were in the will of God in the first place. And so then when things go sideways, we sit there going, well, man, did I make a misstep? Did I do the wrong thing? Did I make a mistake? But when we approach a decision saying, Lord, I've prayed about this. You've given me peace. I believe this is the will of God. Then let the winds blow, man. Let the waves crash. Let the storms rage. Because you know that you're in the boat with the Master. You know it's Him that said, let us pass over unto the other side. And so, listen, this is the same God that said, let there be light. And there was light. This is the same God whose word and power upholdeth all things. And by Him all things consist. If He says, let us go unto the other side, you're getting to the other side. Too often times we set sail because we want to go over. Not because He said to go over. But when He said to go over and we set sail under those terms, we can have confidence. It's a prosperous path. You're going to enjoy being in the will of God. It's not to say there won't be hard times, but you're going to enjoy being in the will of God. I notice the path of God's will. But then I notice the presence of God's will. And this is important. Look at the next phrase. The psalmist says, I will show me the path of life. And then he says this, in my presence is fullness of joy. In my presence is fullness of joy. Now, knowing the will of God and doing the will of God does have to do with a path. But the way you learn that path is by being in fellowship with a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that this is a singular presence. There's only one place you're going to find joy forevermore, fullness of joy forevermore. He says, in thy presence. He doesn't say in somebody's presence or in anybody's presence or in my own presence. He says, Lord, only by getting in your presence can I experience fullness of joy forevermore. Uh, This is where I was going to go a moment ago in John 15, verses 4 and 5. You know what the Lord said? 
said, abide in me and I in you. Now, that means communion. That's what that means. You, you can expound on that and you can dig in that from now till the Lord comes back and, and halfway through eternity if there was a halfway mark and you'd never sound the depths of it. But if we want to just speak it plainly and, and concisely, it means fellowship with the Lord. It means to pray to Him, to read your Bible, to talk to the Lord. Uh, you know, after all, that's what prayer is, right? We have, we, have, we have expounded this thing of prayer to such a degree that I think oftentimes the, the average lost person or the average uh, babe in Christ has trouble thinking whether they're up to the task of prayer or not. Prayer is talking to the Lord. Talking to the Lord. You say, what does it mean, preacher, to be constant in prayer and instant in prayer? What does it mean to pray without ceasing? It means to live your life as if the Lord is standing right there next to you. Talk to Him day in and day out. Converse with Him. Live consciously in the presence of God. He said, Abide in Me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in Me. No more can ye except ye abide in Me. If you're not abiding in the Lord, don't wonder that your life is barren. If you're not communing with the Lord, don't wonder that you're discouraged. If you're not communing with the Lord, don't wonder that everything's going wrong. He says, ye cannot, ye cannot, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, he said, ye can do nothing. Nothing. You can't know the will of God without communing with the Lord. In other words, if you want to know the will of God, you've got to read your Bible. That doesn't mean that God's always going to reveal His Word on the page or reveal His will on the pages of this book. Sometimes He does. Some, there's been times in my life when God's given me a verse. It's like it jumped out and smacked me right across the jaw. And God said, this is what I'm doing in your life. But then there's been other times, it hadn't been that God's jumped out of the page of His Word, but just through the uh, leading and unction of the Holy Ghost, He's made something known to me. I thought it was interesting, and I'm going to preach on it one of these days, so I don't want to say too much about it. But in the Old Testament priesthood, there were some mysterious objects called the Urim and the Thurim. You've probably read about them if you've read your Bible. Uh, commentators argue back and forth about what the Urim and the Thurim were. But one thing that we do understand about it is the Urim and the Thurim, the intent of them was to divine the will of God when it could not be known in any other way. You know what I believe they're a picture of? I believe they picture for the New Testament believer the Holy Ghost. See, you and I, we're, we're part of the priesthood of the believer. Amen? Uh, we're, we're, we're all priests under the Lord. Now, I understand the Lord Jesus. He, he's, he's the high priest. But we don't have to have a go-between other than Him between us and the Lord. We don't have to go to a human priest and say, Would you please tell the Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. We can speak directly to the Lord. And the Bible says this, Who hath known the mind of the Lord? And then it says that the Spirit of God knoweth the mind of the Lord. The Spirit of Christ, whose Spirit we have, by the way. I believe when we want to know the will of God, I believe the Word of God is a good place to start. But oftentimes, the Spirit of God will make something known in our hearts and make it real to us. But you're only going to find it out if you're communing with the Lord. If you're gnarled up and out of the will of God and bitter and angry and you're not reading your Bible, you're not praying, uh, don't be surprised when you find yourself in a fog. Because it's only in His presence that we find fullness of joy forevermore. I see it's a singular presence. It's only in Thy presence. Only in the Lord's presence. But I see it is a satisfying presence. Fullness of joy forevermore. Can we break that down? Would that be alright? Fullness means you've got all you could have. Fullness. You go uh, to, the, to the gas station and you fill your car up. It means you let that pump run until it shuts itself off. Fullness of joy. What is joy? Joy is not happiness. Happiness is related to your circumstances. Joy is related to your spiritual condition. 
happiness can be affected by the, the environment that's around you, but joy is impervious to the things that would seek to weigh on. Now, you might have trouble being happy, but joy is the confidence that we have in the Lord that no matter what happens, He's in control. And because of that, we can rest easy knowing that He's in control. And then what does it say? Forevermore. Forevermore. There's never going to be a time if you'll walk with the Lord where He won't be enough for you. If you'll find the will of God, get in the will of God, do the will of God, walk with the Lord, you'll never find a time He won't be enough. Do you realize what I'm saying to you tonight? At, at your disposal is joy, fullness of joy forevermore if we'll just walk with God. There'll never be a time where you'll say, Lord, you just weren't enough for me. You just couldn't satisfy me. If you'll just get in His presence and walk with Him. You say, preacher, how do I do that? Read your Bible. Pray, get your life cleaned out if there's something that the Holy Ghost has dealt with you about. Uh, take it to the Lord, confess it, forsake it, ask forgiveness of it. Do your best to live for the Lord, walk with the Lord, serve the Lord. If you'll do that, you'll find joy forevermore. You say, how should I believe you? Well, you don't have to believe me. Believe the Bible. Listen, I may have just walked this earth 29 short years, but this Bible is from everlasting to everlasting, settled forever in heaven, O Lord. And there's been more, listen, there's been more people than you or I in worse situations than you or I have ever experienced, that have found fullness of joy forevermore in the pages of this book. I'd say it's a satisfying presence. Finally, I want you to notice that there is a place of God's will. This is encouraging. There is a place where the will of God will be finally realized, no matter how we've lived or what we've experienced. Where is that? Look at the end of the verse. It says, At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Now, when the Bible talks about the right hand of God, it is speaking distinctly about heaven. Distinctly about heaven. There are times when it talks about the Lord being at the right hand of the Father. And when it's talking about the Lord being at the right hand of the Father, it's talking about Him in His exalted condition. After his, He is resurrected, He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He ever liveth to make intercession for us. So, when you're talking about the right hand of God... Typically speaking, now there are, there are times when it talks about the Lord's right hand that it's denoting power. But when it talks about someone being at thy right hand, that's usually speaking about heaven as a geographical place. And it reminds me of this, that no matter what we experience in this life, if we've been saved by God's grace, there will come a time when all that the Lord has to offer us will be realized fully and completely. I notice that there is a person associated with this place. He says, at thy right hand, at thy right hand. Reminds me of what Colossians 3, 1 says. It says, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Uh, you know how we can experience heaven on earth? The book of Ephesians teaches us this. tells us that positionally speaking, in other words, in the way that God views us and sees us, that we are seated at the right hand with Christ. Our life, the Bible says, we are dead and our life is hid with Christ in God. So right now, if we want to experience that, we need to fellowship with the Lord. That's how we tap into that joy and that experience. But one of these days, we'll be seated together with Him in heavenly places. One of these days, no matter what this life brings, we will experience what that is. There is a person associated with this place, but then there is a promise associated with this place. The Bible says forevermore. Pleasures forevermore. In other words, there's coming a day when we will know what it is to enjoy the presence and will of God in our lives, no matter what our life brings here. We don't have to wait to experience that. 
we don't have to live a, a, a lackadaisical, apathetic, half-enjoyed Christian life. Nobody can make you live in the will of God. But God has a will for you. Do you know what it is? Now, you may not know in every single detail of your life, and you may not know what God has for you ten years down the road. But do you know that what you're doing right now is the will of God? Do you know that the way that your life is right now is in line with the will of God? I'll tell you this, if you have sin in your life, that's not in the will of God. Now, I understand none of us are going to live perfectly, uh, but that doesn't mean just because we can't live perfectly, that doesn't mean that we should live apathetically. And if you've got sin in your life right now, that's not in the will of God. If, if you're robbed of your joy right now and there's sin in your life, I'd start there before I went to anything else. Uh, it's, it's amazing. I've told this before. Can I tell you how rotten the devil is? Man, let me tell you something. The devil's mean. Now, that's the truth. He'll, he'll, you know what he'll do to somebody's life? He'll get sin in their life, and then they'll be unhappy because there's sin in their life. And the devil will come along, he'll whisper in their ear, he'll say, well, your problem is who you're married to. Your problem is the job you're working. Your problem is those kids you've got. Your problem is the church you go to. Your problem is the friends that you have. About the time they bust up their marriage, quit dealing with their kids, quit their job, left the church they went to, the devil sits back and laughs and says, you know, all that time is just that sin in your life. About the time their life is in pieces. If you have sin in your life and you're not happy, I'd start there. I'd say, Lord, you've showed this to me. You've dealt with me about this. Give me strength to forsake it. Lord, help me. Forgive me of it. And I'll turn my back on it if you'll give me strength to do so. I'd deal with that. And if you know there's no sin in your life and you find yourself robbed of your joy, I'd begin to ask myself this. Am I reading my Bible and praying the way I should? Am I faithful to the Lord's house the way I should be? Am I doing everything I can to walk with God? And if you know there's no sin in your life and you know you're doing everything you can to walk with God and you're still unhappy, I'd begin to say, Lord, is there something in my life where I'm out of your will? A decision that I've made that set me off track in some way. I'll say this, if you'll make those three investigations, we'll call it that. I believe if you'll do that, ask the Lord, show me the path of life. I believe God will make His will known to you. Maybe not in every way that you want, maybe not about every matter that you wish you knew the will of God about, but about the matters that touch your life at this moment, where a decision must be made. I believe God will make His will known to you. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed.